Amen. All right, well, we're there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. And on Wednesday nights, we've been studying through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through uh, the, the book. We're in chapter 3 tonight, and uh, we're not going to make it through the entire chapter tonight. I'm going to deal with one specific subject tonight, and then next week we're going to come back and uh, most of the chapter actually deals with the judgment seat of Christ. And next week we're going to come back and uh, preach on that subject and the idea of preparing for uh, the judgment seat of Christ. But tonight I want to deal with the issue that's dealt with here at the beginning of the chapter. And I want you to notice there in verse number one, the Bible says this. It says, and I, brethren, I want you to notice that word brethren there. Now, Today, you and I often, when we talk about believers, we use the word Christian, and there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible uses the word Christian, but the Bible doesn't use the word Christian that often. The word Christian is not found many times in Scripture, but the word brethren or brother is, and often in the Bible, when you see that word brethren, it's basically the same way that it's used in the Bible, the same way that we would use the word Christian. We say somebody's a Christian or somebody's a believer, and here, the Apostle Paul is saying, and I, brethren, and, I, and I'm pointing that out because I want you to understand he's speaking to people that are saved. He's speaking to people that are Christians. He says, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you, notice what he says, as unto spiritual. Now, here's what's interesting. You could be a brother or a believer, you could be a Christian and not necessarily be spiritual. He says, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, notice what he says, but as, un, but as unto carnal, but as unto carnal. And that's what I want preach about tonight and kind of just spend some time dissecting these verses and getting into this idea of carnal Christianity, carnal Christianity. And I want to give you three statements tonight in regards to this, and if you don't have a baby on your lap or something, maybe you can write these statements down. Point number one, the first thing we see in this passage, I'd like to write down this statement. We're going to see the condition of carnal Christians. What is the condition of a carnal Christian? I want you to notice that he gives us basically two conditions, two things that uh, tell us what a carnal Christian uh, is. Notice what he says. The first thing is, he says, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. And then he says this, but as unto carnal. Now, what does the word carnal mean? The word carnal simply means flesh. You know, the Spanish word for flesh is carne. You can see how the, 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 the same words there are, being, are, are very similar, obviously coming from the same root, carnal, uh, meaning flesh. And the idea there is that this individual is not someone who's controlled by the Spirit, but they're controlled by the flesh. It's not someone who's walking in the Spirit, but is walking in the flesh. So when we talk about a carnal Christian, you know, the condition of a carnal Christian. What is a carnal Christian? A carnal Christian is someone who's not spiritual. Now, they may be saved, which is why we're calling them a Christian. They may be a brother. They may be a believer, but they're not spiritual if they are carnal. There's another uh, uh, kind of defined definition that he gives us there in verse 1. Notice what he says. He says, And I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Notice what he says. Even as unto babes in Christ. He says, even as unto babes in Christ. So here's what we learn from this verse, is that the condition of a carnal Christian, a carnal Christian is someone who's not spiritual and someone who's not mature. They are a babe in Christ. They are a, and here's what you need to understand. It's not necessarily that they're a new believer. Because, you know, 
oftentimes people think like, oh, that, they're a new believer, so they're a babe in Christ, and that's true. But here's what you need to understand. You don't grow spiritually the same way that you grow physically. We grow physically, you know, or a child will grow physically simply by allowing time to go by. As long as they're being well-fed and they're healthy, time goes by and they grow and they mature. That's how it's supposed to be done. In the Christian life, it's not so. Simply being saved for a long time does not make you a mature Christian. And we're going to talk about what makes you a mature Christian and how you become a mature Christian. But in the Christian life, you could be saved for 20 years and be a babe in Christ. You could be saved for 20 years and be a carnal, not be spiritual. So you need to understand, and by the way, your age has nothing to do, your physical age has nothing to do with how spiritual you are. You may be physically older and yet be a very unspiritual, you know, uh, uh, a walking in the flesh Christian, just because you're old doesn't make you right with God. And, and you could have someone who's maybe young and be uh, walking with God and be very mature because of the things we're going to see tonight. You know, that's why Paul would tell Timothy, who he referred to Timothy as a pastor, as an elder, as a bishop. Those terms are used interchangeably. One of the things that are supposed to characterize a pastor is the word elder. And you say, well, does that mean they're supposed to be old? Well, he told Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. So obviously Timothy was someone who men would look at and say, well, that's a young man. But yet he was an elder. Why? Because he was spiritually mature. The Bible says that a, a pastor should not be a novice, meaning they're not new at this. They're not, it's not, you know, they only, they haven't been doing this for just a short amount of time. So I want you to understand that just being saved for a long time doesn't make you spiritual. Being saved for a long time doesn't make you mature. The Bible teaches here that there is a condition of a carnal Christian, and those conditions are it's a Christian, it's a brother, it's a believer who's not spiritual and not mature. Now, before we go on, let me say this. Go to the book of Romans. You're there in 1 Corinthians. Uh, go to Romans chapter number 7, and just one book back. And you know, there's a famous preacher by the name of Paul Washer who has, who's made this statement, and he's made this, this statement fairly famous, where he goes around saying, there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. And you know, the idea is that there's no such thing as a carnal Christian, meaning you can't be saved and, you know, walking in the flesh, you know. Basically, the idea is that if you're truly saved, if you're actually a believer, then you're going to walk right, and you're going to do right. Well, the problem with that is that 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is the Apostle Paul writing to a church, calling them brethren, and he says, I could not speak as unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. So, according to Paul, can there be a carnal Christian? And the answer is yes. And you know, what's interesting about that is that all of us from time to time, none of us always walk in the Spirit. All of us, you know, walk in the flesh from time to time. That's why the Bible tells us as believers not to grieve the Holy Spirit, not to quench the Holy Spirit. If being saved meant you always walked in the Spirit, you never walked in the flesh, then why would God tell believers not to grieve or quench the Holy Spirit? A believer would never be able to do that. So this idea that, well, there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. If you're really saved, you'll always be doing right and walk in the Spirit. That's not true. And here's what's interesting about that. The Apostle Paul himself. Are you there in Romans chapter 7? Look at verse 14. Notice what Paul said. He said, for we know that the law is spiritual. Notice what Paul said. He said, but I am carnal. 
I am carnal. And you say, well, what was Paul saying? Paul was saying what could be said of all of us because from time to time, we all walk in the flesh. We're all uh, uh, walking in, in the fulfillment and the lust of our flesh. And Paul would say, I am carnal. So here's a question I have for Paul Washer. Was Paul not saved? Was Paul not a Christian? You know, you got two Pauls here. You've got to decide which one you stand with. And I'm going to stand with the carnal Paul. I'm going to stand with the Paul who said, hey, I am carnal. And, you know, this Calvinist teaching that if God saves you, you're going to do right. And, and if you don't do right, then he didn't save you. That's a bunch of hogwash. That's a bunch of false teaching. You know, there is a such thing as carnal Christians, which is why the Apostle Paul writes about it. And he explains to us and he teaches us about it. And we see, you say, well, what's a carnal Christian? You know, this would be a good sermon for Paul Washer to listen to. What's a carnal Christian? It's a Christian that's not spiritual and that's not mature. But go, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's talk about this. Not only is there the condition of a carnal Christian, but there's also a cause to the carnal Christian. What makes somebody carnal, a believer who's walking in the flesh, versus a believer who is spiritual? What is the difference between a believer who is mature, and a believer who is a babe. What is the difference according? Because like we've already said, it's not time. It's not that I've been saved for five years and I've been saved for seven years and I've been saved for 20 years and that makes me a mature Christian. What makes you a mature Christian? Well, notice what he says there in, in verse 2, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 2. Notice what Paul says. He says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. Now here's the idea. What is harder to, to eat or to digest? Milk or meat. You feed babies milk. You don't feed babies meat. And notice what he says. He says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, when it comes to the ministry, I've had to deal with you like a baby. He said, I, I, I haven't been able to put the trust and responsibility into you like a mature Christian. He said, because of the fact that you're carnal, because of the fact that you're not mature, because of the fact that you're walking in the flesh, I've had to handle you with these baby gloves, and I've had to deal with you as a baby. He said, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. Notice what he says. It's not that he doesn't want to feed them the meat. It's not that he doesn't want to, you know, help them grow and mature, but he says, for hitherto, what does that word mean, hitherto? It means to this point or up to this point, you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able. And you know, the, what I've noticed and the problem with a lot of these carnal Christians is that they want to consume the meat, right? They want to go on YouTube and watch the sermon about Daniel's 70th week. They want to go on YouTube and watch the prophecy conference. They want to go on YouTube and watch all, you know, get all this hard, you know, doctrine and consume the meat. But then you, you ask him, Hey, you know, uh, do you have a daily devotional time? And it's like, no. Do you read the Bible ever? No, but I watch a lot of YouTube. I, I listen to a lot of really hard preaching, but it's like, yeah, but how about the milk? How about nourishing yourself and getting in the Word? Go to Hebrews chapter 5. You'll see how this, these thoughts are connected. If, if you go to the end of the Bible, book of Revelation, and head back, you're going to go past uh, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st. Uh, uh, you're going to go past you 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, uh, and 1st Peter, James, and Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5. You know, before you get too excited about the meat, why don't you make sure that you're you know, grounded in the milk? 
Why don't you make sure you're ground? You know, these guys want to come in here and they want to talk about all this deep doctrine. And then it's like, I'm not even sure if the King James Bible is God's word. It's like, well, why don't you settle out first? You know, I'm not even sure what I think about eternal security. Why don't you get down in the milk first and get grounded in the word before you start trying to get all this, you know, deep stuff? Because here's what Paul said. Paul said, you can't handle it when you're immature, when you're a babe. Hebrews chapter 5, notice what he says. Verse 12, Hebrews 5, 12. Notice what he says, same idea. He says, for when, for the time ye ought to be teachers. He's saying, look, it's about time that we give you some responsibility. It's about time that you stop being taught and you start teaching, that you stop being ministered to and you start ministering. He says, for when, for the time, ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I have to deal with you like a baby. He said, it's about time that you start ministering and you start growing and you start helping us and you start getting involved and you start serving. But no, we got to deal with your little baby tantrum because you're immature, because you're not a mature Christian, because you are a carnal Christian. Notice this. For when the time you ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. Look at verse 13. For everyone that uses milk, you say, well, what, what makes you, you know, on the milk versus on the meat? For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. You say, how do you know if I'm a, if I'm a milk Christian or I'm a strong meat Christian? It has to do with how skillful you are with the word of righteousness. You say, well, how do I get skillful? Notice what he says. For he is a babe. Says he's a he's a baby. He's he, he's 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 immature. Verse fourteen. Be, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, referring to someone who's mature. Even those who, by reason of what, by reason of use. Do you see that? See the the babe is unskillful in the word. And the mature Christian, the one who's full of age, the one who can get strong meat, they're able to, uh, they, they get that way by reason of use. Because they open up the Bible and they use it. And they read it. And they study it. And they memorize it. And they work through it. And they get it. And they feed themselves. And that's what makes you mature. You say, what's the cause of a carnal Christian? Listen to me very carefully. When you see a carnal Christian, you know they are that because of the fact that they're not in the Word. They're not in the Bible. There's two types of Christians in this world. Those who read the Bible and those who don't. And that's what makes you mature or immature, strong or not strong. And look, notice what he says. And please understand this. It's not that you have knowledge. It's not that you can, well, I can tell you all about these doctrines. Notice what he says. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised, don't miss this, to discern both good and evil. They, they can, you know, what I've noticed is you, you get these Christians and they can tell you all about the post-trib, pre-wrath, and dispensational this, and dispensational that. And they got all the terms and all the, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the words of man's wisdom and the excellent speech, right? But then you, wa you, you, you get in their cars and it's like, what are you listening to? You know? Or, or they start watching things on, on TV or they're watching things on the internet. It's like, no Christian should be watching that. 
And you say, yeah, but I got a lot of knowledge. That's not what makes you a mature Christian. What makes you a mature Christian is that you are exercised to discern both good and evil. Is that you can figure out how you're supposed to dress as a lady. Is that you can figure out what's appropriate or what's inappropriate. See, what makes you a mature Christian is not necessarily what you know. And I'm not downplaying what you know. The Bible says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm not downplaying what you know. But you can know a lot and not be living right and you're carnal. You're immature. You're not right with God. And if you think about it, if it's about the word and if it's about the commandments of the word, what's the greatest commandment? When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment, what did he say? He said, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And the second is like unto it, to love thy neighbor as yourself. It's interesting that when you ask Jesus about the greatest commandment, it has to do with our relationship with God and our relationship with man. Because you talk to most IFBers and even in our movement, and you talk to them and it's like, do I tithe? That's what makes me the most spiritual. And I'm all for tithing. I'm not against tithing. I'm actually preaching on tithing here soon. But, you know, or do I go to church? Do I put, you know, do, do, do I go soul winning? Do I dress right? And, and all those things are right. You should discern good and evil. But listen to me. There's more to do. And this is what we're going to see in this passage. The, the carnal Christian is more concerned with image and the way things look than how I treat other people. And by the way, let me say this. That's why it's dangerous to go down this road of like, oh, the law's not for us. We got to throw away the law. We're not under the law. Well, the greatest commandment of the law is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. You think we're supposed to throw that away? The, the second greatest commandment of this law is to love thy neighbor as thyself. Be careful before you throw that away. If you want to throw that away with the book of Leviticus, hey, guess what? That's in Leviticus. That's the word of God. That's what God has called us to live. So we see the condition of a carnal Christian. What's the condition of a carnal Christian? They're not mature, and they're not spiritual. You wouldn't look at them and say, that's a spiritual person. You say, that's a person that's walking in the flesh. That's a person that's a babe in Christ. What's the cause? The cause is the fact that they are not in the word, they're not skillful in the word, they're not reading the word, they don't understand the word, and they're not applying the word. And, and look, that's what it always comes down to, is have their, their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Go back to 1 Corinthians 3. If you remember the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, how did Jesus end the Sermon on the Mount? He ends the Sermon on the Mount with this story about the wise man built his house upon the rock, and the foolish man built his house upon the sand. And what did he say? He said, the wise man is the man who not only hears the words, but he does them. He says, you're supposed to do it. It's always about the application. It's not just about getting the knowledge, but what do you do with it? Not just about getting the information, but are actually living it. Are you actually having your senses exercised to discern both good and evil? So we saw, number one, the condition of the carnal Christian. We saw, number two, the cause of the carnal Christian. But number three tonight, and this is where I'm going to spend most of my time, let's look at the characteristics of a carnal Christian. Notice he gives us characteristics. And you can say, well, how do I identify whether I'm a carnal Christian or if someone's a carnal Christian? Well, he tells us how to identify that. Look at verse 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. Notice what he said. He gives three defining characteristics. We're going to go through them. I'm going to explain them to you. Notice verse 3. He says, for ye are yet carnal, for ye are yet carnal, 
For whereas there is among you, notice the first characteristic, envying. He says, you are a carnal Christian when there is among you envying. Notice he says, and strife and divisions. And then he says this, are ye not yet carnal and walk as men? Here's what he's saying. You're not walking like a saved man. You're walking like the natural man. You're walking in the same way that the natural man, the normal man, the unsaved man would walk. So what's the first characteristic? You say, how do I can identify if I'm carnal or if someone is carnal? Well, the first characteristic he gives us is that they are envying or that they envy. Now, what does the word envy mean? Or what is it that we find in Scripture? You know, we should always allow the Bible to define itself for us. Go to the book of Matthew just real quickly. And let me say this, because today, you know, in the Bible, there's a difference between the word envy and jealous. Today, a lot of people might use those words synonymously, but those words are, are, are different in the Word of God. The word jealous in the Bible is not necessarily a bad thing. The Bible talks a lot about God being jealous over his people. You know, as a husband, I'm jealous over my wife. That's a good thing. You know, uh, my wife should be jealous over me. There's nothing wrong with that. Envy, however, is sin. Envy is wrong. And what's interesting is, is when you study the word envy in the Bible, you begin to see this picture painted in regards to how it's applied. And what I want to do tonight is I want to just go to the New Testament. We're going to go, we're there in Matthew. And I want to just look at the first few references to the word envy in the New Testament. See if we can get an idea of how the Bible uses the word envy, because how the Bible uses the word envy is the same way that God describes a carnal Christian one of their characteristics is that they are envying or that they have envy. Matthew 27, look at verse 18. Notice what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 18. Matthew 27, 18. Notice what the Bible says. For he, now the he there is Pilate, just so you can get a little bit of the context. For he knew that for, notice our word there, for envy. Matthew 27, 18. For he knew that for envy, they, who's the they? That's the Pharisees. They had delivered him. Who's the him? That's Jesus. So the first time we see the word envy in the Bible, it's Pilate that, telling us that Pilate knew that the Pharisees had delivered Jesus up. Why? Because of the fact that they were envious of Jesus or they envied Jesus. Now, the next time we see the word envy in the Bible is in the book of Mark, but it's the same passage. It's a, a parallel passage to this, so we're going to skip that one. Go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 7. So you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter number 7, look at verse number 9. Acts chapter 7 and verse 9. Acts 7, 9. So what, we're trying to figure out, what does it mean to be, have envy? Because we don't want to have envy, right? Because envy is a characteristic of a Christian who's carnal. And if you can identify envy in your own life, then you can identify the fact that you're not mature, that you're a babe in Christ, that you're walking in the flesh, and, and you can fix that by getting skillful in the Word, getting in the Word of God, and all of that. The first time we see envy, it's Pilate identifying that the Pharisees had delivered Jesus up to death because of the fact that they were envious of him or that they, they, they did it for envy. Acts chapter 7, look at verse 9. Acts chapter 7, verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. And the patriarchs, now the patriarchs there, just to get you into the context, it's talking about the sons of Israel or the sons of Jacob. It says, and the patriarchs moved with envy. There's our word, envy. So what did they do? They sold Joseph into, G uh, into Egypt, but God was with him. So 
the Pharisees moved with envy, right? Motivated by envy, delivered Jesus to Pilate, delivered Jesus to the Romans to be killed. Here we're told that the patriarchs or the sons of Joseph moved with envy and sold Joseph into Egypt. All right, go to Acts chapter number 13. Acts chapter number 13. Look at verse 45. Acts chapter 13, verse 45. So the Pharisees were envious at Jesus. The patriarchs were envious at Joseph. Acts 13, look at verse 45. Acts chapter 13 and verse 45. Notice what the Bible says. But when the Jews... Now, who are the Jews in the, in the Bible? The bad guys, right? These are the bad guys in the book of Acts. The same people that crucified Christ. But when the Jews saw the multitudes... Notice what the Bible says. They, the Jews, were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. So the Jews, they see the multitudes. They see the impact. They see what Paul is accomplishing in his ministry. And what, what happens to them? They get filled with envy and they begin to attack Paul, attack his ministry to try to hurt him. Go to Acts 17. Look at verse 5. Acts 17, verse 5. Acts 17, we have the same villains in the book of Acts. Acts 17, 5, notice what the Bible says. And the Jews, which believe not, these are not saved people, notice, moved with envy. This is again against the ministry of Paul took unto them certain lewd fellows of the base of sword and gathered a company and sell all the city uh, I'm sorry and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people so according to the, are you getting an idea of the word envy in the bible envy is is not just you know the, what you and I would say being jealous of someone although the bible uses that in a in a positive term envy is you know, the term that we would use today is, you know, uh, you know, desiring, jockeying for someone's position. Desiring someone's position. You know, where you look at the impact that Paul is making and you just get filled with envy because you wish that you were doing that, but you're not. Or the Pharisees, you know, they wish that the multitude were coming to them. They're mad that they're going to Jesus. They're mad that they're listening to Jesus. So they, you know... Uh, put him up to be crucified. The patriarchs are upset that Joseph is getting attention from dad. Joseph got the coat of many colors and they're moved with envy. So let's bring that into the church world because Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth and he's saying, hey, you know, you're carnal because of envy, because of envy in your life. Go, go, go to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. If you're there in Acts, go to Romans for 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Galatians chapter number 5. You say, how can you identify a carnal Christian within a church setting, you know, like at the church of Corinth? Well, it's very simple. Here's, here's, here it is. Christians who desire or lust after positions that aren't theirs. You don't think that happens? Because I probably, you know, the people, the men in this church that give me the most problems, and, I, and we don't have problems right now, but, you know, I'm saying in the past, the men that have given me the most problems, you know what they wanted? My position. They just, they wanted to be the pastor. They wanted to make the decisions. They wanted to make the choices. And, you know, they, and, and when, and when I said no, or when I stopped them, or when I fought them, or when I did whatever, you know what they did? They attacked me, like they did to Paul. 
like they did to Jesus. You say, why? Because that's a, what's a carnal Christian does. You know the women that gave us the most problems around here? You know uh, who they are? The ones that want to be the pastor's wife. They want to make decisions like the pastor's wife. They want to run the, you know, the ladies' activities and the ladies' ministries like the pastor's wife. You say, what is that? That's envy. I mean, people get, and there were, and here's the thing, they'll never admit it, or maybe they'll admit it, or I don't, they'll never admit it to me, but you know, we just had a volunteer appreciation day. I promise you there were some people mad that I honored, you know, Brother Stucky and Brother Oliver. I promise you there's somebody in this room saying, I don't know why he's making a big deal about it. They, they, don't they get paid to do that? You know what that is? It's envy. There, there, there was some lady mad. I promise you, she might never say. I mean, she probably said it to her husband or whatever. But, you know, some lady, I don't know why he always had, why he got give flowers to his wife. You know what that is? It's envy. And you know what it shows? It just shows that you're carnal, that you're a babe, that you're not mature. Galatians 5, look at verse 26. Galatians 5, 26. Galatians 5, 26, notice what the Bible says. Let us not be desirous. Let us not be desirous, notice these words, of vain glory. He says, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another. Don't miss it, envying one another. What does it mean to envy one another? When you are desirous of vain glory. When you, you say, I want the attention, I want the glory, I want to be, you know, and here's what's funny, people always want the attention, but yet they didn't want to put in the seven years that it took us to get here. I'm not even saying we're any, you know, we're anywhere. We need to do more and accomplish more for the cause of Christ. But you know, th these guys work hard every day. You know, my wife works hard. I work hard. But yet people will show up and they're like, oh no, you know, you're relieved of your position. Let me make those decisions when it comes to soul winning and preaching and ministry. I'll do that from now on, Pastor Man. Thanks for your, it's like, no, 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 no. You're carnal. You're a babe in Christ. You're not, you, you haven't been doing this very long. What are you talking about? Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Go to Philippians chapter number one. You're there in Galatians. Uh, you're going to go Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter number one. Look, when it bothers you that other people get attention or other people get, you know, accomplish things or doing things or they get an accolade or somebody, you know, says praise the Lord or whatever in regards to their ministry, there's something wrong in your heart. And it just shows that you're carnal. It shows that you're a babe in Christ. It shows that you have, there's a problem in you. And, it, and here's what it shows. It shows that you're not in the Word. That you're not skillful in the word. Because if you were in the word, you would have read verses like, let us not be desirous of vainglory. Provoking one another, envying one another. Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 15. Notice what the Bible says. Philippians 1.15. Some indeed, some indeed preach Christ even of envy. You know that there's some people who preach for the wrong reasons? Just because they want to be, you know, they want to be the pastor, not because they love people, not because they want to preach the word of God, not because they want to shepherd it and, and, and give their lives to ministry. They just want to be on the platform. You know, they want to be on the YouTube video. They want to be on the documentary. They're the one. Look, some indeed preach Christ of vain glory and strife. Now, we're going to come back to that word in a second, but I, I just want you to notice it there. And some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention. Notice, notice these words. Not sincerely. See, they're not doing it for the right reasons. They're doing it to be seen of men. They're doing it to get the attention of men. And if that's you, here's all I'm telling you is, you're carnal. I didn't say you weren't saved, all right? I'm not Paul Washer. You're saved, but you're carnal. You're not mature. You're not a mature Christian. You're walking in the flesh. 
Go to Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 3. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 3, notice what it says. Philippians 2, 3. Let nothing be done through strife. Notice that word, strife. Or, here's our word, vainglory. You see that? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. And see, you say, well, the vainglory, what's that about? It all comes down to this word, pride. It's just you're filled with pride. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. And you say, well, oh, pastor, you know, it's easy for you to say that because you're the one that's up there preaching and you're the one that the sermons go up there, the documentaries, you know, the, the psychopath reparate documentary is going to have you in it and you've been in other documentaries. Yeah, but, you know, just, I, I think some people think like I got saved and then the next day I became the pastor or something. You know, there was years and years and years and years and years that my wife and I served at Regency Baptist Church. We showed up to church at 6 in the morning to, because we ran the, the, the furthest bus route away from the church. We got there at 6 in the morning every Sunday, got back at 3 p.m., went out and got lunch. We're back at, you know, 4 or 4.30 for choir practice. You know, we made all the maps, like Brother Stuckey's making map, like some of you volunteered to make maps. We made all the maps for all of the soul winning. You know, we counted out all the invitations. We did, you know, for years we did that. I preached at the children, you know, the children's Wednesday night thing. For years we did that and never had any, you know, and it didn't bother me. It didn't bother us that nobody, you know, did anybody in that church know that we did? I'm sure some people did, but it, we just served. We just love that. Or how about the fact that for years and years and years and years and years, we uh, served in this church and had, you know, 10 people show up on Sunday morning. Or 10, 12 people show up on, on Sunday morning. Or, or just our family there, you know, and maybe a few other people on Sunday night. What I'm telling you is, if you want to do something for God, just be, notice what he says, let nothing be done to strive for vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. You need to just humble yourself and say, look, if you want to do something for God, do something for God. But be willing to start low. You know, but people walk in here, babes in Christ, not spiritual, and they're like, let me, let me have at it. You know, get out of the way. I'll run the show. No, you're carnal. You're not spiritual. You're, and, and, and it shows in the sense that you have envy. Now, keep your place there in Philippians. We're going to come right back to it. But go, go back to Colossians. Col I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3. So first, the, he gives us characteristics, right? We saw the condition, we saw the cause, now we're looking at the characteristics. The first characteristic of a carnal Christian is the fact that they're envious. And look, when we, you know, uh, put a, a, a piece of paper in the bulletin and write people's names and say what they do, and that bothers you, there's something wrong with your heart. I don't know why why he had to put that list there. Let me just, look, it bothers you. You know why? Because your name wasn't on there. That's why it bothers you. Why don't you just be, let's just be honest, right? You know how you can solve that? Read the Bible and serve. You know, it, it's, it's not a problem. But see, it, look, whether it's at church, whether it's at work, somebody gets a raise and it bothers you. I don't know why they got the raise. Look, there's something wrong in your heart. You need to mature as a Christian and not be envious at, you know, the blessings of others and what God is doing in other people's lives. There's a second characteristic. Not only is there envy, but I want you to notice, look at verse 3 again. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying, notice the second characteristic, and strife. Envying and strife. Go back to Philippians. Philippians chapter number 2. Now, what does it mean? What does the word strife mean? The word strife means angry or bitter disagreement, conflict. You say, how can you identify a carnal Christian? Here's how you identify a carnal Christian. They always have strife. 
There's always something they're mad about, something they're angry about, something they're upset about, something you didn't do right, something she didn't do right, something they could have done better. That is a characteristic of a babe in Christ, a carnal Christian. Look at Philippians 2 and verse 3. Notice what he says. Let nothing be done through strife. Let nothing be done through strife. If your motivation to do something, to accomplish something, to bring something up is strife, don't do it. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in loneliness of mind, let each of seem other better than themselves. Go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And let me just ask this question while you turn there. Are you always looking for something to be upset about? Look, whether it's church, whether it's your home, whether it's with your children, whether it's at work, you know, if you're the husband that is always looking for something that your wife is doing wrong so you can be mad, look, you need to get your heart right. If you're the parent who's just always looking for something that your children are doing wrong so you can be mad, you need to get your heart right. If you're the wife who's just constantly waiting for your husband to mess up and do something, you know, so you can come, there's something wrong with your heart because it's full of strife. If you're the type of church who's always looking for something, just looking for something that wasn't done right, you know, that could have been done better, I can't believe they did that, it shows that you're carnal. It shows that you are a babe in Christ. The Bible says we shouldn't do those things. Uh, we, we shouldn't be carnal in those ways. And, and you know, let, let me say this, and I, I remember learning this a long time ago. And I heard, a, I heard somebody say this, and I thought it was good. A carnal Christian, a carnal Christian will take something that's real small, and they'll make it real big. A carnal Christian will take something that's small and make it big. A spiritual Christian will take something that's big and make it small. A spiritual Christian will take a big deal and make it small. You say, give me an example of that. Well, you know, we, we saw there Joseph. Remember his brothers sold him into slavery? Remember the end of the story where the brothers come to him and they're like, hey, you know, dad mentioned this right before he died. I, I know you didn't hear it, but he said you're supposed to forgive us, right? And what does Joseph say? Because the, the tables have turned. He's now in control and power. He can come down hard on them and have revenge. He, and what did they do to him? It was a big deal. They ruined his life. And what does he say? He says, God, he said, ye meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You know what he was doing? He was taking something that was big and making it small. He was saying there's a purpose and there's a plan. He's saying God had a purpose and a direction and all of that, and he forgave them. Why? Because Joseph was a very spiritual man. And he took something that was potentially big and devastating. And he made it small. But you know what carnal Christians do? They'll take something that's small, and they'll make it big. You know, let me give you an example. We have sickness going around in church right now. You know, every fall, we have sickness going around in church. All right? It's just what happens. You show up to a place three times a week, four times a week, with the same 100 and 150 people, you're going to get sick. But you know what's funny is, every year we have somebody mad. The church made me sick! And I'm like, what, what does that even mean? And it's funny how nobody says, the grocery store made me sick! No, nobody, nobody gets mad at the gas station made me sick. It's like people get sick, right? Not that big of a deal. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, we have doorknobs, we shake hands, people get sick, and, and it makes people feel bad. You know, I always tell people, like, don't feel bad. Because people beat themselves up, like, oh, I brought sickness into the church. And I always tell people this, you know, it's like, number one, you don't know that you did. Number two, so what if you did? People get sick. Children get sick. It's not a big deal. But you know what a carnal Christian does? They take something that's real small, and they make it big. 
Well, it's not that big of a deal. And it's like, oh, it's a big deal. The church made me sick. Well, maybe the grocery store made you sick. Maybe your public school made you sick. Maybe the gas station made you sick. You know, I, I'm just trying to explain to you. Carnal Christians just make a big deal. About, I can't believe they would. I can't believe that she. I can't believe. What's the big deal? A spiritual Christian takes something that's big, makes it small. Carnal Christian takes something that's small, makes it big. They live their life in strife. They always want to be upset about something, fighting about something, not happy with something. Like, you know, like, like we get together here. Me and my wife and the staff get together here on Saturday, and we incubate diseases. You know, to, I'm going to get her, watch her, put it right on this doorknob. So she, you know, it's like, what are you talking about? People get sick, all right? It's not that big of a deal. You know, but how you handle situations shows a lot about your Christian life and your maturity level. You know, a Joseph will take something that's real big. You really hurt me. He really did me wrong. But he says, you know what? God meant it for good. There's a purpose and there's a plan. So here's a question I have for you. Which one are you? Which one are you? Philippians 1, verse 15. Notice what the Bible says. Philippians 1, 15. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy. We already saw that. But notice, and strife. Some people preach Christ of envy and strife. Now, please understand what I'm about to say, right? Notice what he says. And some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ, notice, the one preached Christ of contention, that's the strife, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Now, look, I'm all for preaching against false prophets. I don't think there's anything wrong with preaching against false prophets. I don't think there's anything wrong with calling false prophets out by name. I just did that tonight in this sermon, preaching about Paul Washer and his heresy. I don't think there's anything wrong by that. But I do want to say this. Especially to you guys that are going to go in ministry. Make sure that your ministry is not characterized only by contention. Well, that's all you've got to offer. All you've got to offer is, Sunday morning I'm preaching against Paul Washer. Sunday night I'm preaching against Billy Graham. Wednesday I'm preaching against Joel Osteen. The next week it's T.D. Jakes. The next week it's, you know, the, uh, the next guy. And, and then we're going to start over. And, you know, there's literally people out there that that's their ministry. I mean, there's people who have made it their ministry to attack our church and churches like ours. You know, there's people, there's some guy named Watchdog on, on YouTube, right? There's some other guy, Husky, something or other, right? And, and they've got these so-called ministries, these YouTube ministries. But here's the thing, they're not accomplishing anything for God. They're not helping anybody. They're not, you know, getting anybody saved. They're not doing anything but just attacking another church. Look, when your entire ministry, all you do, Every day, all day, every day is watch videos so you can, you know, make a follow-up video, an attack video. You are a carnal Christian, and your ministry is a joke. Notice what he says, Philippians 1.15. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, notice, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. You know what Paul was saying? Paul was saying there are some people out there who their entire ministry, their entire ministry is to add affliction to me. All they want to do is hurt my ministry. And you know, there's people out there, all they, all they do is they want to hurt Verity Baptist Church. There's people out there, all they want to do is hurt Pastor Anderson. All they want to do is hurt Pastor Romero. All they want to do is hurt Pastor Perry. Hey, look, if that's all your ministry is, is contention and fighting, if that's all you got, and look, we should preach against false prophets. I'm not against that. But when that's all you got to offer, there's a problem there. 
you're probably not preaching of sincerity. You're preaching Christ of contention. You're preaching Christ of strife. And you're doing it to add affliction. So what are the characteristics of a uh, carnal Christian? Well, number one, we see that they envy or they're envious. And when we study that out, that's always envy at somebody's position, somebody's success, what they're doing. We also see that there's strife. They're always fighting and upset with something and, and, and mad about something. And they take little things that aren't that big of a deal and they make them big. Where a spiritual Christian will take something that's big and make it small. There's a third characteristic the Apostle Paul gives us. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 3. Look at verse 3. Notice what he says. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife. Notice the third one. And divisions. And divisions. Are ye not carnal and walk as men? He says the third characteristic of a carnal Christian is that they bring divisions. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, look at verse 4. He explains it. He says, For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? It's interesting because we've already dealt with this, right? In chapter 1, let's go look at it real quick. First Corinthians 1. But he brings it back up. Because we already dealt with this idea of cliques, right? The church was divided into these cliques. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. And we already talked about the fact that they probably really weren't using those names. He's using those names, you know, to kind of help people understand things. But there's probably divisions within their church where they're saying, well, I'm with this guy, I'm with this guy. And here's what Paul is teaching. Here's the third characteristic of, uh, uh, of a carnal Christian. Divisions, they will form cliques. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 11, notice what he says. For I have been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Doesn't that sound like a carnal Christian? Look at verse 12. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Now keep in mind, they're saying, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. They're saying that, verse 11, because there's contentions among them. It's not a good thing. He's saying you're carnal, you have divisions. What are the divisions? You're divided into these groups. I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulist. And he says, are ye not carnal? Now go to the book of Mark just real quickly. Let me show you something. Because I think people don't really understand. Sometimes I, I use these terms and people don't understand what I'm talking about. So I want to try to explain it to you. There's a difference between a clique and a circle. There's a difference between a clique and a circle or what we might call an inner circle. Jesus actually had an inner circle that he had in ministry. You remember Jesus had 12 disciples, right? But yet there's certain disciples that keep being brought up as being part of his inner circle. Let's look at it just real quickly. Mark chapter number 5, look at verse 37. Mark 5, 37. Notice what the Bible says. Mark 5, 37. And he, Jesus, Mark chapter 5 and verse 37... And he, Jesus, notice, suffered, the word suffer means allowed, no man to follow him. Save, that means accept. Notice these words, Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Why don't you notice that in the Bible you often find Jesus with his twelve, and then you find Jesus with these three, Peter, James, and John. Go to Mark chapter 9. We're going to look at a lot of passages, but I'm just going to show you a few in, in Mark just to make the point. Mark chapter 9, look at verse 2. 
Mark chapter 9 and verse 2. Notice what the Bible says. Mark chapter 9 and verse 2. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him, notice, Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain, notice, apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. This is the Mount of Transfiguration where he showed them that great vision. And who was it? It wasn't all 12. It wasn't all the thousands of people. It was the inner circle of Peter, James, and John. Go to Mark chapter number 14. Mark chapter number 14 and verse 33. Mark chapter 14 and verse 33. Mark 14, 33. Notice what the Bible says. Mark 14, 33. And he, Jesus... Taketh with him, notice, Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. This is right before he's going to be crucified. And he's trying to get alone and spend time in prayer. And he needs someone, uh, to, to friends, to be with him and to comfort him. And he brings his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And you say, well, what, what was, did Jesus have a click? No, see, he didn't have the I am of Paul and I am of Paul. But he did have this inner circle. You say, well, what is the difference between an inner circle, and a clique. And here's what you need to understand. A clique is based on who you like. A circle is based on who will serve. See, it's not a coincidence that you see Jesus with Peter, James, and John. But you know what's also not a coincidence? That when you go through the Bible, you often see Peter, James, and John highlighted as guys that are doing a lot of work. Only one of them got off the boat to walk on water, who was it? Peter. Only one of them, you know, was laying the, uh, uh, their, their, breast, uh, their, their head on his breast before he died and was at the cross when the rest ran off. Only one was at the cross unashamedly standing with Jesus. Who was it? John. James eventually gets martyred. You know, these were men in, in that, that were in the inner circle. I believe they were in the, in the inner circle. I don't believe Jesus, you know, excluded people. I think anyone who wanted to could have been in that inner circle. I remember when I was training for the ministry. I was going to a church, you know, while I was in the Air Force. And I remember the pastor saying from the pulpit, this is a big church. They're running like 400 at the time. It was a big, you know, they would, they would average somewhere between 70 soul winners, kind of as many soul winners as we average now, except they were a much bigger church. You know, we have a lot more uh, soul winners by percentage. But it was a big church. They had bus routes. They had this. And the pastor, I remember the pastor said, from the pulpit. He said, you know, sometimes people act like, or they want to accuse me of having clicks. And he said, you know, any man in this church could be my best friend. He said, all you got to do is serve alongside me. He said, the guys that I'm closest to are the ones that work the hardest, that when there's something to be done, they show up. You know, and I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm going to take him up on that. I'm going to show up to everything. I'm going to be there. If there's a work day, I'm going to be there. If we're going to get there early, we're going to stay late. And, you know, my wife and I ended up starting ministries in that church. We started a Spanish ministry that when we left was averaging like 30 people in it, you know, after about a year and a half. And we got connected and served in that church. And you know what happened? I became really good friends with the pastor. Close enough friends that he sent us out to start this church. Knowing, knowing that I wasn't pre-trib, knowing that I wasn't children's church, knowing that I wasn't... You say, why? Because look, let me just explain to you something about leaders. Leaders love it when people want to help. You say, oh, that's a click. No, you know what? Anybody can be part of the inner circle if you want to show up for soul winning, show up for work days, show up to serve, come early, stay late. You can be part of the inner circle. Here's the thing. The inner circle is actually trying to get people in, but cliques are trying to exclude people. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, the mentality of the clique is it's us four and no more. 
I don't like you. I only like this person. I'm only going to hang out with this person. That's not an inner circle. That's a clique. That's the I'm a Paul and we're better than you because you're on that group and you're in that clique. And listen to me, when churches go down that road, it's very dangerous because it just means that there's a church filled with carnal people. What are the problems with cliques? Go, go back to 1 Corinthians 3. There's divisions, of course. 1 Corinthians 3. See, cliques exclude. Cliques divide. Circles include. Circles invite. We invite people to serve with us. We invite people to serve alongside us. And listen to me. If you've got this idea that, you know, well, it's just our, us four, and these are the people I like, and I'm not going to talk to other people or reach out to other people, there's something wrong in your heart. You're a carnal Christian. You're not mature. You're immature. You're a babe in Christ. There's another problem with cliques. Notice verse 21. We're going to skip several verses because he starts uh, talking about the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to come back to that next week. But go to 1 Corinthians 3, look at verse 21. The other problem with cliques is pride. Notice what he says. Therefore, let no man glory in men. He says, therefore, let no man glory in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. He says, therefore, let no man glory in men. See, the problem with a clique is that it's filled with pride. Circles, cliques exclude. Cliques look down. Cliques say, well, you know, we've got our little group over here. I don't want to associate with them because their children are different than our children. Shame on you. I don't know. I don't know how spiritual they are. You're not spiritual when you're saying that or thinking that. Well, you know the things that they're up to. See, a clique will exclude. It'll divide. Circles will include and invite. It says a lot about your spirituality if you only hang, you know, you got your little group and that's it. And, you know, especially those of you that want to go in ministry. You know, my wife and I try very hard to talk to everybody, to try to connect with everybody, you know, to, to have, you know, to spend time with people, to know people's names. Why? Because, look, you cannot have this idea where, and people will accuse you of having cliques, and that's just because there's an inner circle, there's an inner core in every church. People, like we talked about on Sunday, there's 10% that does 90% of the work. We understand that and we get that, but you should never develop this idea where it's like, my little group is better than your little group. You're a carnal Christian. You know, in church life, do you look down at others? Do you have this idea that it was us for and no more? It's just us. We don't want anybody else. Or do you reach out to people? Do you watch the people that maybe aren't befriended or maybe aren't, are excluded and, and you could go to them and minister to them and befriend them? That's what a spiritual person does. See, a carnal person is condescending. A spiritual person condescends to men of low estate. They find people that maybe aren't as spiritual, that aren't as far along, that need help, that need encouragement, and they condescend to those men and, and try to help them and try to minister to them. A clique, condescending. A circle, condescends. Means they go down. They lower themselves. They humble themselves. Let me read for you one more. Actually, let's just go there. Go to Proverbs 25. Proverbs chapter 25. And look at verse number 17. And you'll be careful about that. Be careful about the, developing this idea in church where it's just your little group and no one else and nobody else matters. And I'm just going to, these are the only people I talk to, the only people I care about. You know, our church isn't that big to where you can know people's names. 
and you can know about people, and you can uh, fellowship with people and love people. Be careful about spending too much time with the same people. I remember talking to a very old, uh, an older pastor, a man that had been in ministry for almost 40 years. And, and he was talking about how, I don't remember if it was within his church, but I, I know that he had helped other churches, and it might have been also in his church. I'm not sure about that, but he was talking about how he had to help a lot of other churches, you know, when they had adultery within the church. And I can't think of a worse thing in the world. I hope our church never goes through that, uh, where, you know, some man in our church commits adultery with another woman within the church. But he was talking about how in several occasions he was called on to help churches that were dealing with that. And he said, in all of the churches, it was the same problem. It was couples that were spending too much time together. And it's funny because the, pro- the Bible says that. Proverbs 25, 17 says this, Withdraw thy foot from thy neighbor's house, lest he be weary of thee and so hate thee. There is a such thing as spending too much time with the same people. You know, be careful about developing cliques. Make sure you're including people. Make sure you're going to people. Make sure you're including other people and helping people and bringing people along. That's what a spiritual person does. So we saw the condition of a carnal Christian. What's the condition? What makes somebody carnal? The fact that they're not mature, they're not, they're a babe in Christ, they're a baby, and they're not spiritual. They're in the flesh. They walk in the flesh. What's the cause? The cause is they're not skillful in the Word. They don't know the Bible. They're not studying the Bible, and they're not applying the Bible. They're not, uh, you know, using their skills to discern between good and evil. They can't understand, like, you know, maybe we're spending too much time with these people. Maybe we're getting too comfortable. Maybe, look, as a pastor, and some of you, I'm going to say this, some of you are going to not like it, and that's fine. You're carnal, all right? But, you know, as a pastor, I've realized that I can spend too much time with individuals where, like, people start, you know, losing respect. You know, sometimes you have to back up a little bit and, and, you know, maintain that position of there's a pastor here. You know, there is a position. You say, oh, you're just, you know, full of pride. You know, I magnify my office. It's not about me, but, you know, if I died and the next guy shows up, when he becomes a pastor, show him respect and treat him, you know, uh, and uh, give him respect and respect his wife and love his children. That's how you should be doing it. So there's a condition of the carnal Christian. There's a cause of carnal Christian. Then there's the characteristics. What characterizes a carnal Christian? Envy? You know, all, you know, always mad when other people get positions. You know, sometimes I feel bad because we put people in certain positions. We ask a lady in the church, can you serve in this capacity? Or we ask a guy, can you serve in this capacity? And I think to myself, like, man, I'm going to turn all the carnal Christians against this person right now. Because <laughs> as soon as we put them in a position, then everybody's mad at them. How did you get that job? They showed up. That's how they got the job, you know. Um, They were there. Uh, So there's the cause of a carnal Christian. There's the characteristics. Envy, strife, divisions. That's why I had to have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for these these, uh, verses in Scripture. I mean, we didn't get very far, but as we just dissect them, there's so much to learn there. And Father, I realize that every church is going to have carnal Christians in it. I get that. 